This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Your old Graps Express, the podcast about a scene that everybody thinks is dead on the busiest weekend in the Western wrestling calendar. <laughs> it just seems insane to be talking about European wrestling, but we we don't care about WrestleMania, do we? We we're not we're not really bothered. We don't want Joey Janela's spring break. We want Neil David's half term. That's what we want. Never mind Joey Janela's spring break. Um, thank you. For listening, thank you for joining me. And I, and I know it's probably been a, a busy couple of weeks for you, a busy weekend, I should say, for you with, with WrestleMania. Um, or has it? I don't know. It hasn't. It hasn't been for me, to be honest with you. I've I've not watched very much. Um, it feels a bit strange. WrestleMania weekend used to be a big thing for me, like everybody else. I think it, it was a really exciting time, and it, it was you know I'd, I'd take a couple of days off work and I'd. I'd go to the supermarket, I'd stock up on cheese and crackers and I'd, I'd settle in for a, a weekend of wrestling and, and, and talking about wrestling. And I always really enjoyed it as well because it felt like I was saving something for myself. You know, I wasn't, I never wrote about it. I never, I never submitted articles. It was just something that I would, would watch and enjoy without the pressure of having to come up with, with hot takes. Um, they didn't feel like work. It just felt like something that I that I really wanted to do. But this year, it's just kind of fallen off. I don't know if it's the state of the indies or certainly WrestleMania itself. I just I just don't really want anything to do with it. You know, I, I just don't really care what Cody Rhodes does. At least not now, anyway. There seems to be this thing that we have to accept that when people go to that company, we, we, we have to be really happy for them. But for me, as a wrestling fan... I look at what Cody had done, and I really respected it. I never really enjoyed Cody's in-ring work, in particularly. I, I, I don't think many people would argue that he's a great worker. He's fine, you know. He but on those New Japan cards, you remember when he wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom, and he he was eaten up. But he had the balls to to walk away and to and to go away and, and do something unheard of and be a major part of something that revolutionised what pro wrestling was and. To kind of go back on that now, he he's just he, he doesn't exist anymore to me. It's just it's he was somebody who I respected, and now he's somebody that I could, I could just forget about, like a lot of people when they go to WWE. I think it feels for the for the British wrestling fan with with NXT UK and and, and those sorts of things, it feels like quite a a common thing. You know, when you look at Pete Dunn dressed up as Butch, like a, a Peaky Blinders super fan, like he's doing like Peaky Blinders cosplay. You just think it's a bit. It's just a bit sad, isn't it? It's just a bit. I 
I don't know, it just makes me feel like you remember all the things that we've lost. I used to really love the Bruiserweight, and now he'd come and he's he, exactly the kind of thing I want from my wrestling. These tough juniors who would batter you and, and, and knock your block off. And then you had Tyler Bate, who was just a, a wunderkind. He was, he was exciting and fresh and just a, a captivating personality. And Gunther, the former Walter, and all these people now are just are just gone essentially, aren't they? They're not. You know, we, we we can say that. I think you've got to separate these things in your head. You can be happy for them. You can be, you know, you can think that yeah, it might be the right decision for you. But from somebody who follows this thing, it's, it's a bit sad, isn't it, that they, they they've kind of gone, that they're not performing to the peak of their ability anymore. You can't tell me that Volta is having matches as good as he was having before he got signed. You know, I remember going to the Rev Pro Ultringham shows that they uh, brought New Japan over, and it was Walter against Will Ospreay. And it was, it's not a match that anyone really talks about. It's not a match that has gone down as sort of any kind of hidden gem or classic or anything. But I remember being in the audience and just thinking it's absolutely brilliant. And it's probably better than 90% of the matches he's had in the WWE. I mean, what's Pete Dunn done? What's Pete Dunn done? What has Pete Dunn done? Anyway, don't know why I'm moaning. I, I mean, I like to start these things off positively normally. You know, I don't talk about what snack I'm having until you to go and make a cup of tea. Uh, so I want you to do that. I want you to go and make a snack, uh, make a cup of tea. Um, I've had some cheese and crackers. You know, maybe you could have a biscuit and be back to talk about a little bit of WrestleMania. Actually, I'm going to talk about Michael Oku and Rich Swamp uh, from the WrestleCon USA versus the World show. We finally got some Red Pro to talk about. Um, apparently Andy Quilden was on holiday, um, a well-deserved holiday, I'm sure, uh, and he's back now, so we got a, a show to talk about. And we're also going to go back to Germany, and not WXW, we're going to go to GWF to look at the light heavyweight World Cup. Um, people who've been listening to this show know how much I love a tournament, so we've got lots to get on with, um, so we better get cracking, haven't we? So go and put the kettle on, and I'll see you in a sec. Oku has been such an incredible asset for RevPro. And not just because of his in-ring ability or his promo ability or that kind of, you know, the pro wrestling stuff. That, that That's not to be sniffed at. He, he was a participant in a five-star match from Dave Meltzer. He's been consistently great for the company for years and years. He's 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 somebody they can rely on. They can put in, in in prominent positions. They can give a championship belt to, and no, he's not going to shit the bed. He's 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 been great in all of those ways, but he's been such a great ambassador for the company that almost mediatory went on after the Osprey match was just really impressive, and in a way that I think the Red Pro fan is is really going to respond to, really appreciate because. He really puts himself out there for this company. And, and we're seeing it again now. He's gone over and taken a book in, in Texas for over WrestleMania weekend on the on the WrestleCon uh, show, the USA versus the world. And it's the main event. And I, I don't know how, I, how to analyse this one without sounding like a dog because I, I, I really appreciate there's a difference between a main event match and a match going on last. And I, I know it doesn't always necessarily mean the same thing and... But it also means a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> on the one hand, it means absolutely nothing. And on the other, it means absolutely everything. Um, 
And the fact he's doing it with the cruiserweight belt is really cool as well. Like, we all know Osprey. You know, the British cruiserweight, uh, sorry, the British heavyweight championship that he has is just something that's almost window dressing for him. You know, it, it, I think to an audience outside of Britain, outside of Europe, him being the British champion just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It fits. You would expect him to be the British champion and it would become something that you wouldn't really look past. But having it as the cruiserweight title, and the, even the word cruiserweight, it's cool, isn't it? It's you know, you you kind of got these choices. Are you going to call it light heavyweight, cruiserweight, junior heavyweight, whatever? They've called it cruiserweight, and I don't know why. Just it's got that kind of smarky feel to it that that's going to appeal to people like us. Um, and I, seeing this on a stage that a lot of people are going to see that have never seen him before is great, and and. And as I say, Oku's been the ambassador for this company and you just absolutely trust him to go out and give the best representation of it. So let's get into the match then. Because I thought this was a really, really good match. Uh, it's a notebook match for me, this. And I, I've not seen much buzz about it. I've not seen much talk. But I thought this was so good. Um, Rich Swan came out and I hate dancing wrestlers it really bugs me i i don't i don't even like too cool that's how deep my hatred for for, for dancing and wrestling shows goes but rich one i'll allow it i think he gets away with it he's he's the exception that very uh that, that proves the rule um and he's a he's a big star you know he's somebody who who has a bit of prominence about him he has someone who has he's someone who has a bit of weight about him he's not somebody who would have a throwaway championship match in a main event. It, it means something. A win here for Oku is important. Um, and it's not a dead cert going in that Oku would win this. It's perfectly feasible that Rich Swan might win this. I know there's a little bit of politics, really, with, with impact and and things. But, I, I mean, I don't know. We don't really understand what the forbidden door is. Uh, but it's, I know that it's open. So I'm assuming that there's something something there that he could win. Um, Oku was a little bit pro wrestler when he came out he was a little bit doing poses but when he climbed the, the, the corner and he yelled and he, he's screaming and he's passionate and I thought yes we're going to see the Oku that we need to see because Oku d doesn't have a particularly impressive look on the surface of it I think to take a picture of him you wouldn't get it when you start to see him in motion and you start to see him move and you see the way he interacts with crowds you start to understand it a little bit more and you understand the intangible that Oku's got that not many people do he's just got that star aura that thing he's just I don't know if it's his eyes or something about him that just makes you want to cheer for him and support him um, and he, he started to get that across really quickly. And when the match started, it was all speed. It was head scissors and dodges and cartwheels. And I went, this is why I should be watching WrestleMania weekend. You know, this is... And I, I kind of regretted skipping it. I'm recording this um, after WrestleMania Saturday, but before WrestleMania Sunday. And watching this match this morning kind of made me think I should have made a bit more effort. Because it reminded me of what I missed. We, you know, you're not going to have story classics because a lot of these matches haven't been built for months and months and months, and a lot of them are, are mishmashes of talents from um, all over the world, and they're, they're kind of bringing them together in this festival of wrestling. But what you are going to get is cool shit, and cool shit is cool. Um, and in the hands of two great professional wrestlers, you're going to get a great professional wrestling match, and this escalated so so well. Oku was in control, which is strange to start with, because you don't 
Hoku's strengths really are in, are in the underdog and the fighting back. But you know, he 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 just he controlled the match really well with like repeated leg drops and like escalating into a knee drop, and he grabbed a headlock, and it felt dominant as well. Um, it was quick and it was exciting, and he could do flips into big boots and high flying mixed with brawling, and it was just it was it was just captivating wrestling because. High flying sometimes can feel a little bit weird, can't it? Because it's always kind of a we don't really think of it in this way. I don't think, but there's it kind of walks on a bit of a strange line. These kind of high flying, high risk kind of wrestling because you're expecting me to believe that this is a fight on the one hand, but then on the other hand, you're doing things that you would never do in a fight. Um, and I think you can get to a point where with these kind of high flying impressive moves that you can kind of lose that a little bit and you just go, okay, I'm just watching cool stuff. And I, I'm not knocking that. I'm I'm not a grumpy old man who thinks everyone should be should be working limbs. But what the greats can do, people like Oku and Swan, is they can just infect their high flying and their fast moves with violence. That's the bit that just needs adding and it's a simple fix that a lot of people don't do. Um and, and and this did he did it absolutely brilliantly. By the time this went outside, Oku just did what he did best and committed himself to great bumps. You know, there was the bit that Swan does where he runs around the ring and does a big boot and and Oku took a massive bump across the table, which just looked which looks absolutely fantastic. And then obviously when Swan went to do it again, he, he he telegraphed it and he did a kick and it was just it was just really great, clever wrestling. I mean it wasn't particularly innovative, I guess. It's all things that we've seen before, but it was done with two pros. You know, we kind of forget, I think, that Oku is a bit older and a bit more experienced than than it seems. Um, and this, you know, it was the little things that made it great. It wasn't the big moves that made this great, as cool as they were. It was how well each man sold, you know, traditional pro wrestling. You know, the DDT that Oku gave to Swan and the way Swan bounced almost off the floor like a pogo stick, uh, Vader Scott said on commentary, which I thought was a good way of putting it, um, was, was, was great. American chants are rubbish. That's that, that's one criticism that I have. I know it's quite funny when you see you know speaking in the Slack and you hear, uh, you know it was the NXT takeover London and and a lot of the people found the the chants kind of agitating. Well, I I don't really mind them. It's just because I suppose that's my wrestling culture, isn't it? The blokes getting pissed and shouting things. Um, but the American chants in this were pants. They got a a chant going over new champ, and then other people would go old champ. That's, crap in it it's just no no imagination there whatsoever it's just a load of old bobbins but um yeah anyway they didn't really take away from the match it was great the crowd were great and um you know there was grasping near falls to the end and it was they really got you to that point where it could have ended at any moment um there was a few bits of the old, you know, slapping the knee, uh, slapping the thigh and that sort of thing. But honestly, I don't really care about that sort of stuff. I think that, you know, if if you're hiding it in a great wrestling match, I can forgive it. I think people go in. It's a bit like pineapple on a pizza, isn't it? It's just fucking calm down. You know, don't have it. You know what I mean? You don't have to get that annoyed about people slapping their legs. It's it's fine. Um, Oku's frog splash in this. He does a good frog splash anyway. But this was one of the best. The height that he gets and the way he really commits to murdering his opponent and putting his body at risk is just so good. Um, and then he got a tap. He got the, 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 the Boston, the half crab, the half Boston crab, and, and he won Oku and he's still the champ. And 
The promo he delivered at the end was superb. Wasn't really a promo, I don't think. I, I, I think it, it felt like the show had stopped and he was just Michael Oku, Michael Oku talking to the crowd. Um, that's kind of how he delivers his promos anyway, to be fair. But it was just a really lovely moment. He talked about how Swan was an idol for him as a, a, a black wrestler. Um, and he was somebody that he really looked up to. And, and that representation was so important to him. And even for me, as a you know, a, a a nearly middle-aged white bloke. I I I can't help but feel. Yeah, I get that. You know, I he was he was hearing it was really emotional and he got upset and I, I think it was genuine. I do. I mean, he might have. You know, I, I really believe that what he was talking about was 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 completely genuine and it, it was lovely. I was all in on it. I, I, I love Oku. You know, it's a stupid fake sport, but he's real even when he's when he's wrestling and it was just it was just really good. Um. So technically, this meant apparently that the rest of the world beat USA, but who cares? I think we should abolish borders. I think we should stop all wars, and I think we should watch more professional wrestling together. Um, and this match was was life affirming and brilliant, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so definitely go out of your way to see it. Um, don't do what I did, by the way, and just Google WrestleCon versus uh, USA versus the world and buy the first show that comes up because I've now managed to buy the twenty nineteen show which I'm fairly sure I've already got because I started a new fight account because I got a promo. Um, so <laughs> I've got, I think I've got that show twice now. But hey, don't do that. Buy it properly. Don't be a wazzock. And I think you'll have a really, really great match. Um, but we're a little bit off base here. We're not in Europe. So let's get back to Europe and talk about the GWF Light Heavyweight World Cup. So GWF had their... Light Heavyweight World Cup 2022 on the 27th of March. And they aired it for free on YouTube. Anybody could watch it. And it had a little bit of a buzz about it. Paul Vosch, um, co-host of the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, was there. It's a great podcast, by the way. If you're interested in, in Noah and all Japan, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. It's one of those podcasts that, that saves you watching it. You know, <laughs> you can just listen to their thoughts on it. And it actually saves you watching old men going over. Um but he was there live, and, and, and Ian Hamilton DM'd me about it, and there just seemed to be a little bit of a buzz about it. And looking at the lineup of the tournament, it was a great mix of people that I knew, like Senza Volto, and Michael Oku, and, and Maverick, and Fast Time Moodoo, and, and, and some people that I didn't. And that, that, that's really great, I think, in a tournament. You want that mix of people that you know and people that you don't, because you, you know, you're going to learn about new wrestlers and. It just seems like a really great-looking tournament on paper. And again, it's free on YouTube. What do you got to lose? That's a really interesting way of doing business, actually, that I think is really cool. And it seems to be a lot of these indies are experimenting with different different things. I think the era of the streaming service is, 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 is being shaken up because a lot of companies are going to say, like, IWTV and kind of doing package deals. Obviously, some are selling their souls and going straight on the WWE Network. Um, some are doing Patreons. What GWF did was put the show for free on YouTube. Anybody could watch it. And it had kind of like that um, the Twitch streaming style donation thing. So they had a goal up of €1,500. Euro and you, if you enjoyed it, you, you, you paid a bit of money. And I, I think that was a really good way of doing it. And they got their goal. So it looked like a pretty decent house as well So you know, for an indie. So they've sold the tickets and then they, they get that to cover the production costs or whatever it was. I, I think that was a really, really nice way of doing it. This promotion just seems really lovely to be at. It was the crowd here were incredible. It was so passionate all the way through tonight. 
Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Red Pro crowd later on and how I felt they were a bit flat. But this is kind of the juxtaposition to that. They were just into everything. They enjoyed everything. They were vocal, but not in a forced way. They weren't trying to get themselves over. They were just so invested in what was going on. Um, and they really, really added to it. And this is a, a company that I, I really want to go and see. Got this thing bubbling in the back of my head about, you know, the way Joe and Rich bounce around the Indies. I've got this thing bubbling about bouncing around the Indies, but actually doing it maybe one summer. I get on a plane and I get on a train and I go and bounce around some Indies. And this would be like a great highlight because this feels independent. It feels raw and, and but exciting as well. So obviously it was a light heavyweight tournament, a light heavyweight World Cup. I wasn't overjoyed with the with the structure of it. It was first round matches, and the winner of each match went through into a four way, which four ways can get in the bin. I, I just don't enjoy them. I feel like I'm often like well, not anymore, but in the past I was often really polite about things like this, where I would. I would kind of go, oh, but maybe it'll be good. You know, maybe it'll be good. They never are. I mean, are there any great four-way matches? I don't know. There's that one in TNA, isn't there? Um, oh, is that a three-way? Yeah, I think there's a couple of great three-ways, but I don't know if there's any great four-ways. I'm probably forgetting a really obvious one, aren't I, that people are um, shouting at their phones, or the, the car stereos, but DM me, let me know if there's a great one that I'm missing. Um so let's get into the matches then. We had uh, Anako Montana against Crowchester. Uh, oh, sorry, Crowchester. I should say Crowchester. Crowchester. It's not a a tiny village. It's uh, in England. It's a wrestler from Kazakhstan. I think that's cool as fuck. You know, he had a great look. He had a great dance. He came out. And uh, Anako Montana is from Chile. Uh, and there was just a really cool underground vibe to both of these. They both looked incredible. They were cool in a way that I could never be. You know, Montana was kind of dressed like Kawada, like Kawada's son, who got really into hardcore punk. And he just, he looked absolutely brilliant. Um, They came out and they were really hyping the crowd up, but they were almost hyping themselves up as well. He didn't feel like that corny thing of somebody going, hey, come on, and trying to get the uh, the crowd on the side in an artificial way. They were getting themselves hyped up and, and the crowd went along with it. And as I said, the crowd here were were, were fantastic. Um, there's lots of great grappling here, um, you know, but actual grappling as well, you know, like the head scissors with actual attempts to escape. But I really liked it. Felt like a struggle at parts. Um, Crowchester was really good. Uh, there was parts where uh, <laughs> Montana would go for a big leap and he'd just move out of the way. Uh, it was a little bit scripted, but for want of a better word, it kind of followed a. Um, a very standard kind of formula, but they understood the assignment. He was there to get the crowd bouncing, and it really worked. Um, I was so into this. Um, there were some problems later on. Um, Montana kind of has a bit of a ceiling. Um, he can't quite do the rope work he wants to do. He can't do it maybe as well as he would want to do, because he can do it. There weren't any any major botches, really. Um, but I think it bordered on that good sloppiness, and it's it's that kind of sloppiness is hard to put your finger on sometimes, isn't it? That sometimes the Sabu effect, you know, it works really really well, and sometimes it it takes away, and and this really danced on a on a midpoint, and I, I couldn't really work out whether it was it worked or it didn't. 
what did work was the amazing double foot stomp from Montana because he actually stomped on his opponent. You know, it wasn't. He did feel like he was he doing an overcuff fall and on top of him he stomped on his back and he, he was amazing. Uh, Crowchester's a, a great scratcher as well, which always helps. That kind of you know, wailing his arms around and you know he he dropped a big moonsault and crawled his way like and waving his arms in the air, desperate for a pin. And I really wanted him to win. You know, it was the crowd would. I keep talking about the crowd, but they was they were great here. Um, it was that mix of shouting and chanting, just absolutely involved in 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 everything that was happening in front of them. Um, Crowchester won and the crowd went wild for him and it was deserved I think this was a notebook match I went four stars um, I, I just thought it was it was, it was great and I, I didn't expect this you know Paul DM'd me and said hey it was really good you know a lot of the tournament matches were good and I thought alright he's a, a guy whose opinion I trust I'll watch it and I expected it to be good I expected him to be right well this boarded on great for me this match and I think there was that excitement of having two wrestlers that I don't really know and but the crowd and the setting, it was everything together. But I think, I think that's fair to analyze that. I think sometimes you can you can get carried away with thinking you have to remove crowds from your analysis of matches, and I don't think you do. You're analyzing the whole the whole presentation. You're analyzing everything from the commentary to the setting to the to the lighting to the sound. It all adds up, and the crowd is just as much a part of a wrestling match as the wrestlers. Sometimes slightly safer part in theory, um, unless you're at a Stan Hansen match, but it is, they are part of it, and they definitely added some star rating to this one for sure. The next first round match was uh, Itak Baha versus Corey McRae. Uh, Corey McRae's British, he's from Essex, he's not very experienced, he's, he's trained by Sid Scala, he's, he's done a few bits and pieces, he's, he's not someone who's particularly around the scene very much, he's not somebody that I think most people will be familiar with, to be honest with you. Um, but I thought he was really good. Like, he just got a brilliant look. Um, he's got a legit bounce to him. You know, he's got, he feels like he's full of energy, like he's he's wound up and he's ready to go. Um, he did a bit of a fake Conor McGregor routine, which I would I would stay away from. I I really would. If, if I was him, I would really avoid that. I think he does the... You know, Conor McGregor does that kind of kung fu pose where he he, he sort of spreads his legs and does a does a, a, a like lifts his arms up. Um, but one of the Paul brothers does that, and whenever someone who isn't Conor McGregor does Conor McGregor, it's not good. It's like do you, you might not be old enough for this, for but in the nineties when the Prodigy came out and Firestarter was massive, and and everyone, all the blokes started doing like kids in the playground as well started doing these. The, the Keith head flicks, the Keith, he does like a weird head flick in the video. Go, you'll know what I mean when you go and watch the video. And there's just something about people not being Keith doing that. And there's something about people not being Conor McGregor doing Conor McGregor poses that's just dorky. It's like Undertaker level dorky. Undertaker buying MMA gloves and convincing everyone that he's a tough guy. feel like I can't get through an episode without slacking off The Undertaker. But I think it's important to slag off The Undertaker. I think it's vital that we do that as wrestling fans because he's portrayed as being the greatest wrestler of all time. And I think it's important that we, we fight back against the, this Undertaker love. And we, we know he's rubbish, don't we? We we can we need to fight back against him. This is awful Hall of Fame induction. It was just so cringe. 
Absolutely embarrassing. I saw as well, he's been doing a lot of interviews in the build-up to it, and he was talking about how oh, everyone nowadays, just all these wrestlers, they all watch cartoons and they want to be superheroes. They, they've they never had a fight in a brawl. And I'm thinking, dude, you speak to the creatures of the night. You are a goth. You are the most panto, cartoony character that's ever been. And I'm not necessarily slacking that off. It's not for me. That's fine if that's what you want to be and that's what you like. But, you know, maybe have a bit of self-awareness. Anyway. We're not here to talk about The Undertaker. We're here to talk about uh, Itak and Corey McRae. Uh, Itak is someone who I've seen do bits and pieces in WXW. Uh, he was super over here. I mean, everybody was super over here. The crowd were great, but particularly for Itak, they they, they really liked him. And uh, Corey went straight into the heel routine, breaking the rules. He was he was a bit of a naughty boy. But again, like I say, he looked great. He's got a big beard, tattoos. Um, work a bit sloppy. Uh, missed a few kicks, you know, like kayfabe breaking stuff. He, 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 he kind of miles away. There was there's something there with him, you know. He's prepared to commit himself to dives, and he, he he he's prepared to catch people on dives. And he did a great gut punch at one point that I thought was really good. It's not something you see very often in wrestling. I think I've got a feeling does it break a rule? Is there like a territory rule where you can't punch people in the gut? Maybe that's maybe that's why we don't see it. But I did look great. He was he was brutal. Um. It doesn't really sell, though, Corey McRae. You know, he doesn't really... He's kind of at that point. Um, and he also doesn't wear boots as well, which I know Joe Lanza's talked about this one, and I completely agree with him. The kick pad and boot thing stinks. Don't do it. It, it looks really bad. Um, grappling was a bit sloppy. The match will probably have been shorter. It kind, of, it kind of got to the point with this one where they were just doing stuff. You know, it felt like they were doing moves for the sake of doing moves. It wasn't necessarily adding to the adding to the story. And I think this is something that's going to come out a lot in this show where we kind of needed a little bit of constraint here. I think maybe it needed a little bit of a veteran to, to take control of this because there wasn't much structure to this as we got to sort of the back third. It, it just kind of fell apart. Even though McCray was doing great stuff, you know, some picture perfect, like double suplex. One was like a twisting brain buster, that kind of dumb jock energy stuff that people talk about. Um, and I tagged one with a brilliant Ushigaroshi style thing. And he was very much doing moves, as I said, but the energy was great. And at, at no point was there, was there downtime. And it was at the end of this match that I thought, I want to go to one of these shows. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get over there, but I, I really want to one day because, you know, to, to look at two wrestlers, two young wrestlers who are really good and are definitely um, prospects, the way they were over here and the way they were allowed to be over and allowed to put on a great match by this crowd was, was fantastic. Then we had two familiar wrestlers, uh, Fast Time Mudu and Michael Oku. Um, Mudu was way more over than Oku here, which is understandable. You know, he's the hometown guy and, and, and all that. He's, he's a German wrestler. Uh, it also proves as well that Meltzer's hive mind bias doesn't go as far as Germany, I guess. You know, it's just it's one of those things. It must have a must have a, a have a limit, like a distance limit. There must be no synapse links in uh, in uh, in in proximity. If you get that reference, by the way, you've got to DM me and let me know because that's a that's a good reference. Um, I think the pacing actually here was really good. They slowed it down, and the show really needed that because we had a fast match, a violent match, and then this was a wrestling match, and it it, it felt. 
not to go all Rip Rogers, but it, it felt like that was the appropriate thing to do here, and, and it worked really well. Um, Oku realised he was being outshone by Moodoo in kayfabe. I think they probably predicted that anyway, and he started to act like a heel. I really thought about this because I think a few years ago I'd have thought that was clever. I'd have praised that. I thought, oh yeah, you should act like the heel. You know, you've got to go with what the crowd want and lean into it and and be responsive. And that, that's what's amazing about wrestling, isn't it? And I think all the best art forms have that kind of sense about them. You know, like like stand up comedy. You know that that responsiveness and being able to 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 adapt what you're doing to fit what's around you in a very improv way. And and wrestling is is in a lot of ways, the the peak of that. Um, but I don't know if I like it now. I don't know if Oku would have done that. I don't know if it, it clashed a little bit with what I know about Oku. I think maybe he would have put his head down and been a bit disappointed, you know. But he's there to do the job, so he would have worked through it. But he would have there would have been a, a tinge of sadness to him. I think I'm answering my own question here, Adza, because that would have been crap, wouldn't it? He would have been very excited. Uh, but I, I feel like that's what he would have done. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a little bit a little bit different in my old age. I want to think about things on a, on a, on a weirder level. But um, he didn't do that, which is fine. Um, Oku worked the limb, actually, which was really good. And it sounds like a weird thing to to, to, to praise, but he, did, he worked the limb well. He really wrenched a leg. Um, you know, because Moodoo is the karate kid, isn't he? The 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 he's he's dedicated his life to kung fu, and he sold it really well. You know, he, he was like Oku was eliminating the powerful uh, parts of of Moodoo's offense, which is just solid storytelling. Um, Oku again really went into the heel thing, like pushing the face, he's like slapping him and that sort of thing, and um. Yeah, I just really thought about that. Can people be different characters in different territories now in this day and age? Well, we can, you know. I think you can, obviously. But do I like it? I don't know. Um, is this just a really good match that I'm overthinking? Because it was a really good match on the on the surface and maybe I should just get a grip and, and appreciate it on that level. Again, Oku, like I said earlier on, he's great, isn't he? He runs the ropes at lightning speeds and then just bursts out with big kicks. And, uh, you know, he booted Moodoo in the face at one point and then the Moodoo chance just raised the roof and he stands up with his arms outstretched like a like a risen Christ and like an arrogant prick. And the crowd just got bigger and bigger and bigger and there are a few bits in here that were a bit too ambitious like often happens i find in moodoo matches like there was a leap into a triangle choke it was just a little bit much but then oku really sort of grappled his way out of it not grappled in like a smooth way but fought his way out of it into a half crab and that was authentic as it gets um there were late kickouts in this and moodoo really sold the instinct thing was it gorilla monsoon that used to talk about people kicking out an instinct like um the best one is when Steen faced Nakamura in Ring of Honor and he, he kicked out the bomb AA on one before taking another one and taking the three, but he really sold that. He just kicked out and didn't really realise he was he just went into pure wrestling mode and he was like Pavlovian almost. Uh and they really made me believe that anyone could win and it, I thought it was a great match. Oku Oku did win. Uh probably as you'd expect, although I don't know. I think that's what made the rest as I say, what made this match so good is that even after the match, I, I thought, actually, no, you could have gone either way with this one and it would have worked, but it was Oku. And then we had Sens of Alto against Maverick. Mavericks are from the HCW crew, the, the Hungarian crew that work a lot in Germany. Um, 
And Senza Volto's great. He's he's he just does cool shit, doesn't he? Senza Volto, you know, he bounces around the ropes, he does the topes, he does the flip. Um and he's a big lad as well. He's like an old school lucha guy, like a thick lucha, which is great. Oh, a thick lucha door, which I really like. Um and the match was all him to start with. Maverick didn't get much in apart from refusing to shake a hand. It just it was chops and brutality and uh I would say as well, I went on um Senzavolto's Twitter and there's loads of pictures of him without the mask. And I delete them because he looks amazing. He's got that Dr. Wagner Jr. thing. Do you know how sometimes when, when luchadors lose their mask, they just look like blokes? They just look like everyday guys. Senzavolto doesn't. He's got the Dr. Wagner thing of like, oh wow, you know, like he just looks like a like an intimidating guy who who smokes and fights and he's violent and he, he looks brilliant and I, I would I think saving that would have been I suppose the two bases out of the tube now I know what he looks like you know we were all 12 googling Slipknot without the masks and once we'd seen it he was done so you know you can't you can't put it back in the tube um, Maverick's a great high flyer as well I think he's a bit of an underrated high flyer because he, he doesn't do anything on paper that's particularly impressive but he does it in such a wild way that I, that I have to admire it um, I'm avoiding the elephant in the room a little bit with this one because this match was a, was was ended because of injury. Uh, a DDT landed awkwardly, um, and they went outside, and 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 Volto was legitimately injured. Um, it was nobody's fault, you know. It looked like Volto was fiddling with his mask a little bit um, at one point, maybe like he couldn't see, and, and and he had to adjust it, and then that left him in a weird position, um, and it was a neck injury. And the ref should have just stopped the match. They it really should have done. It was kind of obvious what was going on. Um, Maverick put him back in the ring and, and he did a pin. But then Volto kicked out. And then the ref started doing the 10 count. You know, like he's on the floor. And, he's, and I, I get in a way that that's the proper way of doing things. But it felt like they were maintaining kayfabe at the expense of somebody's health. And again, I don't know what the injury is. I know it's a neck injury and I know he's out. And I know Volto's had his car stolen as well. He was putting that on Twitter and he's lost a load of gear. Um, so he, he's had a bit of a run of bad luck. And I, But I, I just think that we know this is fake. You know, we know and we know that if somebody is legitimately injured, we'll just boop, we'll delete that bit from our brain. We'll pretend it didn't happen so we can get the help he needs. And I would have just called it. You know, maybe there was a little bit of confusion. Volto was probably supposed to win here, I would imagine. Or maybe he wasn't, I don't know, but maybe he was. Um, I, I just, I would have done, as, as much as it's corny and we hate it, you put the X up. You know, this isn't a broken finger. This isn't a minor injury. This is potentially a neck injury. I, I just would have dealt with that a little bit quicker. But I, I'm not casting aspersions on the, I, I, you know, I believe everyone did what they thought was best at the time and they were in an impossible situation in a heightened way and maybe they don't have much experience in dealing with this and it's always easy for somebody like me to, to watch something like this and say the ref should have ended it and, and, and expected that to have happened. Um, you know, it's very different being in that situation and actually, actually having to deal with it. But I, I just felt like it should have been ended sooner. Then we had a Mystery Mayhem Umschlag eight-man battle royal. He's uh, got Doug, Will uh, Doug Williams in this one. Uh, I don't know if you know Doug Williams. He brought Mizawa and Kabashi to the UK. Um, 
he took some big bumps throughout this. This was all right. It was decent enough. It was obviously just to give us a little bit of time uh, between that and the uh, between the uh, the tournament matches and the main event because we've got our four now. Uh, Erkan Sulkani won, and he looks great. He wrestles in jeans. You know, you think he's he's going to have a, a street fight at any moment. Um, I think he should put knee pads over them. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it, as a wrestler? If you're you should, if you're going to wear jeans, you should put your bright white knee pads over the top of them. Um, but yeah, he won, and Doug Williams looked looked really good here. I, I find it easy to poke fun at Doug Williams, um, and I shouldn't because he is a he's a British legend. But it's been screamed at me that he's a British legend so much that the Britishness in me wants to take the mick out of it. Like it's, I, I can't really stop myself doing it. So I feel like I'll do that forever. But you know, Doug Williams is really good. Uh, we had a women's match next. Uh, Nikki Foxley against Iva Kalaski. Um, Iva's really cool. Um, she's a Hungarian wrestler, very young, very inexperienced. But I think she's got a really big upside. She's not there yet. You know, she really isn't. This is kind of a level, uh, the level that's appropriate for her talent at the moment. You know, she's a little bit sloppy, um, but she's got something. You know, um, Nikki Foxley doesn't. Um, she's mad. You know, she screams and, and makes faces, and just I'm not into that. Uh, I think the thing with Eva Kalaski is she's probably a wrestler who needs to be led a little bit. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You know, there's clearly some really good matches in her, and she needs to be in there with a higher level wrestler. To and I, I think she would rise to the occasion. I don't think she's at the point now where she can lead at the minute because she is, like I say, inexperienced. Um, Nikki uh, Nikki Foxley, sorry, just couldn't really make her beat down interesting enough. To to you know, and that was a lot of the match. It was just it, it kind of bland. Then we had the final, the light heavyweight World Cup twenty twenty two. Uh, final four-way. It, it was a, uh, an elimination match, which if you're going to have a four-way, is probably the best way to do it. But that's only because at the end, we could have an actual proper match. Um, it was okay. I mean, Oku hammed it up a bit too much and Crowchester, uh, you know, kind of did the opposite. There was a bit where they were just geeing up the crowd and it, it just felt a little bit weird. And that, that's a pet hate of mine. Um, this had all the things of a four-way that I don't really like. They brawled outside for a little bit, and then it was taking turns. You take your ticket, you wait in line. You know, Crowchester slipped out, Oku slipped in. I wondered, because this was quite a, a, a snappy show. They had two dark matches on this, um, which you can watch. That you know they're on the on the on the VOD. But I wonder if we could have done without the darker matches and just had two more matches. And had a, a semi final in before we went into the final. Um, I don't know. I, I I just think that this sort of thing is is never good, is it? The four ways never good, um, especially when it was literally taking turns to wrestle each other. I think Oku went a little bit far with the heel stuff again here. He just he he went a bit. You know, he's doing the Hogan thing to his ear when the crowd were booing, and I just thought this isn't really the Oku that I know. And maybe it's me. I want that familiarity, but. It, 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 he didn't really give me much of that here. Um, Maverick and Oku at one point tried to form an alliance and took forever in doing so. So Crowchester just drop kicked them both, which I thought was a really good spot. Um, the closing bit before the first fall was really good, and it, it would get really violent. You know, someone would try and do a flip, but they get drop kicked in the face. And yeah, they were still taking turns, but I'm allowed to contradict myself. There were parts of it that it was really good. Um, Maverick taps out to Itav. Which made me think that um, Volto would have been here, perhaps. You know, we needed to get Maverick out of the way. Um, but he did a really good job. I thought Maverick was great. I don't know if I like where this went. You know, the whole appeal of this show is that it was kind of a live wire. It was fresh talent. And there was always an air of unpredictability in each match. You know, they, they, everyone wrestled in a really wild way and at the peak of their ability and the problem was when you have a four-way, you're kind of dipping into having predictability. Like I say, with the wrestlers taking turns to, to go in and wrestle each other and and just felt like they didn't add anything by having a four-way. So what was the point? Like, for example, uh, Itav got his heat, you know, he, he got a big shine before, right before he was eliminated um, because he can't just eliminate him and send him to the back, but it, it just it, it, it 
just dipped into a trope and dipped into a familiar feeling that I, I didn't really like. You can't deny what's in front of you, though, and the crowd was so behind Crowchester there, and they were so against Oku that that's just visceral. It's impossible not to enjoy, uh, especially when Oku's doing things like slapping him on the back of the head. And, you know, Crowchester held on so well, and it took a great DDT on the apron to get him back in it and, and Oku sold that brilliantly and there was a springboard destroyer, a move that I don't really like I, I think it's a bit corny um, but it, it really worked here and it made me think it was all over um, Oku was great at playing the arrogant heel actually so maybe I, I do need to readjust my position on this one because he was so good, he went for a frog splash at one point but he did it so slowly and he stood on top of the ring, he, he was basically he felt like he was going to end, and it was going to be one of those great endings where someone just gets put away but you get that moment to to really breathe in what's about to happen, there's going to be this big devastating move and then a three count. And Oku was able to convince us that this big frog splash was going to be the end. And then, you know, the, the referee started doing that slower count. You know, when they do the, the counts at a slightly different cadence because it's the end and it's going to be more dramatic. But then Crowchester kicked out. And, you know, this is, a, again, reinventing the, the wheel. But the commentary was shouting, nine, nine. And I was all in. Crowchester got it with a big, it was a big 450, I think, as a 450 ending, like a senton, I don't know. Uh, but it was a big flipping move and the crowd exploded and loved it. And as much as I didn't like the structure of the match and I didn't like how they did the final, I can't say I didn't enjoy the final. And I can't say that this show was anything other than brilliant. I thought it was really, really good. It came out completely from left field. Um... But I, I, I thought it was great. And I definitely recommend checking it out. It's free on YouTube. It's actually, they put it as unlisted. So if you go on YouTube and search for GWF, you won't find it. You'll have to go onto the GWF Twitter page. And it's it's all over that. You can, you can get the link really easily. But I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. Because it was really, really good and a really easy watch. I didn't watch the dark matches, so I don't know about those. But the rest of it, skip those. Watch the main card. Um, it was great. So Andy Quilden is back from his holiday and he's uploaded some Rev Pro. So let's go and have a look at that. So we finally got a Rev Pro show to talk about. I was really glad that I had Carrot to talk about a couple of weeks ago because I can't do a show without RevPro. It's just, it would feel wrong. It's basically a RevPro podcast with a little bit extra at the minute because RevPro are doing so well. Um, but as I say, Andy went on holiday and we didn't get very much, but we got the St. Neat show um, uploaded. Uh, the still got a couple to go, though. This Raw Deal. We got no escape, but we've still had a Raw Deal and a Live in London uh, that, that's, that was like a month ago that still hasn't hasn't been sorted and put up on RPW on demand. Hell, it is what it is, and nothing we can do about that. Um, there's plenty to talk about, but I think we might have to do a Red Pro catch up at some point. Um, but let's talk about what we have got. We've got a show in St. Neats, um, Red Pro back, and they still sound like shit. It's because, you know, I know he's been on holiday and, and he probably didn't want to edit very much when he got back. You know what it's like after you've had a long flight. Um, but it's, they're still doing nothing about the production. Uh, 
GWF are a much smaller promotion, and their show looked better. I think certainly sounded better. And I don't, I, I don't speak German, but I'm talking about the level of distortion on the microphone, and and it, it's really starting to to become annoying now that they're not they're not getting any better. You know, but whatever. Um, the first match was Dan Maloney against J.K. Roberts. Um, Dan Maloney's just awesome. You know, the way he, he bounds into the ring with he's got the little short little boots on and, you know, he looks like he bought them in Sports Direct because he's a massive chav and he's going to batter everybody that, that, that stands in your way. Uh, and I was really ready to see J.K. Roberts getting squashed. Um, he was He was really, really pro wrestling. You know, he he came out and he, he did a pose on the floor and he, he stalks around the ring. And as Gideon Gray said, though, fair play, lovely hair. Let's see what he's got. And overall, he, he was pretty cringy. And what kind of bothered me about this match, and, and I think what's bothering me about Red Pro a little bit at the minute, is that they just will not commit to doing a squash. Um, this kind of was a squash it was all Dan Maloney but he was just really long and I, I feel like it should have just been done a lot quicker um, Roberts did a bit of a fight back but Maloney just no-sold him and then drop kicked him across the ring you know things like that um, and it, it, I think it should have been done a little bit quicker you know that, that kind of made the point that image of him being booted across the ring was all we really needed Um J.K. Roberts was a bit pants. He 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 wrestled beyond his ability, and he really milked some rubbish Michinoku drivers that 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 weren't really that good. I mean, Dabalo is a big bloke, to be fair, uh, but I felt like he was doing things that didn't really come across very well. Uh, I loved Gideon Gray's line on commentary, which is uh, for someone who wrote the Harry Potter books, he's doing tremendously well. You know, it's just like a brilliantly British patronising put down. Um, I thought that was really good, but it just should have been a squash. It, you know, Maloney chopped him, stalked him, and choked him, and it should have been out. It should have been done. It, it just dragged on a little bit too long. But uh, we're going to see Dan Maloney again later on in the show, so we're going to get a little bit more of him. Then we had uh, Kid Lycos versus Chuck Mambo, two tag team specialists. Um, Actually, he's Mambo a tag team specialist. I suppose he is these days. I traditionally don't really think of him as that, but I, I suppose he is. He has been. And I think my feelings on Lycos are, are well established. Um, I don't think I can really add much uh, that I haven't already said quite a bit. He was kind of turned up to 11 a little bit here. Uh, bit here. Um, I don't really know how to describe it. There's just a stench of irony about Lycos that I was never really interested in in the first place. And actually, I, I, I thought it had died. Um, I thought it was dead. The sort of the schadenfreude thing that they do where it's everything's got a dripping irony. So, for example, Lycos would come out and because he's playing the heel, he would hold his arm out to kids and but he'd move his arm away and do that thing under his nose and it wasn't genuine heat. It was a. It was a suggestion of heat. It was a. It was a, 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 an indication that he was gaining heat rather than actually gaining the heat. And you know, Don DeLillo might say it doesn't really matter, and one leads into the other anyway. But it just, 
it's just something a bit patronising about it. I find something a little bit sneery about it. Like I'm, I'm treating this like a laugh, and maybe I'm at fault because I can't treat it like a laugh. And well, like, I mean, I can, I, I can laugh while I'm watching wrestling. And it's just, it's just there's something like an air about the Lycos thing that I just don't really like. Um, Lycos just went full panto with this one. I, I hated it, you know, and he'd, he'd be, he'd be really corny and Mambo would go out and high five a kid and felt like we were we were telling stories the best bit of this actually was there was there was some really really unenthusiastic chanting from Chuck Mambo uh, for Chuck Mambo sorry from like one bloke in the audience uh, really not committing to it and I, I don't know if it was meant to sort of get people along with him or if it was meant to be a really subtle burial you know, I really hope it was meant to be a subtle burial because that would be absolutely hilarious. Um, it was just flat. It was boring. It was awkward. There was no flow to the uh, the submissions. It was very holiday camp. Um, they had to stop and rile the crowd because the wrestling wasn't doing it. You know, the, the crowd was silent during this and it, it took away. You know, we talked in GWF about how a really hot crowd can absolutely add stars to show, uh, to matches. And here it, it took it away and it wasn't a good match anyway. And the crowd not really being into it didn't help. Uh, this was just a really strange beast. It was the, the pacing was really odd. It did pick up. There was some running from corner to corner, but it, it was probably too little too late. And then it came back down to earth and slowed down to a plod again. Um, it wasn't a long match, but it, but it really felt like it was long and, then to say we get more indications that Lycos are baddies, you know, we get powder to the eye and they've got baking trays and I just, it doesn't really fit RevPro, I don't think. And I know that the scene isn't what it was and there's always a thing with the Shadow Fighter stuff and I was always really critical of Chris Brooks. I always found him a bit boring and I'd write and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of criticise him, but there was always that understanding of why they booked him because he was a draw. Like, he wasn't a, a huge star or anything like that. He probably wasn't a main eventer. But there would be, in every um, show that Chris Brooks was on, there'd probably be 10 or 15 people out of a 1,000 that had specifically come to see him. Um, he more than paid for himself um, on these shows, and he had a big following. And I wonder if there's a bit of a hang-on from Kid Lycos with that. You know, I just he's they've got people that come to see them. And then obviously they should book them if that's the case. But I think what they do in the ring just isn't really for me. Then we had a tag team match, women's tag team match. Uh, it was the Hex versus Hyen and Laura Di Matteo. Uh, Laura Di Matteo missed the last show. Uh, she's here now, and Hyen was a replacement, and she, and she kind of shit the bed a little bit, to be honest with you. No, she wasn't a replacement, was she? They, they made it into a three way, so she kind of was. She took she took Laura Di Matteo's. Uh, opponent, I guess. Um, but I've been saying that the women's division needs imports. You know, it's been decimated by um, signees and, and, and things. And um, having the NWA women's tag champs, Marty Bell and Alison Kay, probably isn't a bad idea. Uh, the problem with the Hex here is they had that air about them of, of like, what do you know when imports are in a new place? And they kind of have that air that they're playing at pro wrestling, you know the 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 way they did the the they made a big deal of hiding the belts and 
and doing the hand thing, they do like the clapping thing and saying, hey, we're heels. And at one point, Marty Bell pretended to pull a muscle in her leg and they're having a great time and uh, wrestling in a perfectly adequate way. But if you're going to analyse it, there's not really much to to talk about. You know, I feel I feel hesitant to take something seriously when the people performing it aren't taking it seriously. I don't want to put more thought into it than, than they have. Uh it was almost patronising in its averageness, really. Like, no thought was made into making this good. Uh, it descended into chaos, and it, and it became a bit soft, really. No one was really committing to anything. Um, high and running around with Alison Kay was good, but um, it seemed like she gassed herself while she was doing it, so I'm not sure it was worth it. And then there was, a, there was things with, you know, Kay hitting higher with a belt, and then... Uh, pinning Di Matteo and, and nobody really reacted uh, and I'm not sure how smart this was in a women's division that's struggling I know in a sense that the argument is that the people who actually wrestle in this company were pinned after cheating and they took belt shots and all that I get it wasn't a clean finish but I wouldn't have pinned them I wouldn't have you know we're, try, we're trying to build these up to be contenders um, people like Hyen and Di Matteo and having them lose just, just seems weird to me i don't know i don't know if i'm overthinking that one but it, it just it's not what i would have done then we had alex coughlin and luke jacobs uh i've said for a while now that jacob should be a power junior the problem is he he looks really stocky and big but in real life he isn't he is a junior um he's young and he, he there's a good chance that he'd get a lot bigger but he is a junior really uh and here he's going against one of the toughest looking heavyweights going in alex coughlin um, with awful camera work with this one, absolutely awful camera work. It was out of focus in Coughlin's entrance. It was all over the shop. Uh, but I can't help but be excited about this one because it's Luke Jacobs, and I don't know what it is. There's something about him that I really like, and I, I'm really, I'm really pushing for him to do well. And Ethan Allen, his tag team partner, has been injured, and and it's great to see Luke Jacobs on his own. And he he's had a great match against Oku that we talked about in a, a couple of shows ago. And you know, is his progression getting a little bit slow? I don't know. Am I overthinking it? Maybe. Uh, but this was another decent match from him. It was, it wasn't great. There was lots of wrenching choke attempts. You know, lots of people being bent in horrible directions. There was wrist control, actual wrist control. You know, not just holding someone's hand, but yanking their limbs into control spots. And uh, just a really great interaction here between these two. You know, they they would do a test of strength, and Coughlin would do a bridge to just sort of show off he could do it. You know, he'd do a, a perfect bridge that he probably did in the LA Dojo. So Luke boots him, you know, he he told him like, no lad, you're here to fight, you know, it was great. Um, Coughlin's just so strong. The way he could catch Luke Jacobs was 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 great. Um, the violence did kind of stop halfway through and, and that's where it went a bit, you know, I, I, it started to lose me a little bit. Um, Jacobs went a bit progressive, grabbed Coughlin's nose at one point, but then wiped his hand on the ref and... Uh, there was a couple of moments where he struggled to find an ankle lock. He, he wasn't even had that snap and that that sort of the pace that it needed. Uh, and I kind of like the ankle lock. It, it, I remember that being a, a devastating move, and it and it and it hasn't really been in the in recent times, and especially not in this match. It felt like they were they were really long ankle locks in this, and I feel like an ankle lock needs 
a scramble to the rope and a loud crowd, and they just didn't have that. You know, the crowd again were were, were quiet, and the pacing was strange. Nothing seemed to build, and you know, it's a shame because the actual moves were really impressive. You know, huge, huge bombs and big German deadlifts. It just, it just never really got the juice that it needed. It never had that intangible, which is a shame. Luke Jacobs is really hit and miss. When he hits, he really, really hits. And I wouldn't have said he missed here. Missed is probably a little bit too harsh. But it, it, it didn't really have the juice and the passion that it needed. Then Oku's back again. There's been a bit of a, an episode for Oku this one with Destination Everywhere against uh, Shota Umino and Yota Suji. And I have to say, Gideon Gray looked lovely. He looked so good. You know, he had this scarf that was just beautiful and it, it, the trainers with the suit, the perfectly fitted suit, was he looked great. looks really, really good. Um, I love the way he, he said, because <laughs> he did the ring announcing for this one and he said, uh, this match is scheduled for one fall. And then instead of letting the crowd do that annoying one fall, afterwards he went, don't say a bloody word. And I thought that was great, you know, because that chant is really annoying and it's something about the heel manager or the heel promo that can predict what you're about to do, even though it's, it's obvious, I know, but it's almost like he's cleverer than you and I, I really like that. Um, I love this story with Gideon Gray that he's just decided that he has a faction and Yota Suji doesn't even really seem to know that he's in it. Like he just—he's really annoyed with Yotsuji, and he's—he's he's, uh, Giddy Gray is, and he's—he's he's convincing Shota Umino to join, and he's like he doesn't even really know or care, you know. It's just—it's just, it's really impressive. Um, destination everywhere is uh, Michael Oku and Connor Mills, and Connor Mills is a guy I've—I've got—I've really gone back and forth on. He's—he's he's a bit of a fake tough guy. Like, he doesn't really pull it off, which is a shame because I actually think he's an all right wrestler. He's clearly a very talented wrestler uh, from a technical point of view. He's, he's very capable. He's just struggling to find that character, I think. Um, which is probably why pairing him with Oku is so smart. You know, Oku's got charisma for two. Um, I think Connor Mills does have a charisma. I think he could have that Rev Pro Series charisma. He's just kind of missing it slightly at the minute. You know, as in he's aiming for it and missing it slightly. I, I think he's got it. Um, and he is still very young. He's, he 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 wasn't. It doesn't seem that long ago that he was a a, a contender. Uh, just really good tag team stuff here from Destination Everywhere. Um, plotted again slightly, which is kind of a theme of this show. Really, there's lots and lots of plod. Uh, until Amino came in and and dropped some big elbows, but really it was Oku that got that over because of his selling. Um. Connor Mills had a hot tag and he was good. You know, it ended in a moonsault that got two people, but it just wasn't fluid. Uh, the crowd didn't really go along with it. Um, you know, Connor Mills tried to G up the crowd and they just weren't really interested. Uh, there was a big ending, but the pacing was a little bit off. So Aminu was, was kind of reeling, like, you know, on jelly legs, but he had to do it for that split second too long. To, you know, you kind of noticed that he was doing it. You know, so I was doing jelly legs, and you they should be doing it just long enough to let the transition happen. But it it happened ever so slightly too long, uh, for me. Um, Umino and Shota had a good fight back, but Oku dodged a spear. Suji got his own partner, and that led to his downfall. And taking a frog splash and a rubbish four fifty. So we, we we're developing kind of a bit of a theme on this show of of, of matches that are. Fine, I guess. 
you know, that's kind of our ceiling so far. Fine, I guess. Um, which is a bit of a shame. And uh, he was never really going to be saved by kid like us two against T.K. Cooper. Although, actually, Joe Nelson is the much better kid like us. Um, and he was much, much better here than I expected him to be. Uh but old Lycos came out with a baking tray and you just think, all oh, right, you know, <laughs> as great as Joe Nelson was, there was always that kind of stench. Uh, Lycos has a bag and we know he's got the powder in it and he, he was in full view of the camera and the crowd and it was a bit like, okay, you know, we, 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 we're telling stories. Uh, there were bits in this where you know, kid like us too pretending to be tripped over by Mambo outside the ring. So he Mambo got sent back and he, he hadn't really tripped him and he obviously hadn't tripped him and the kid the children liked it. Um I like the bit where Cooper no sold strikes but then like I stamped on his foot. Thought that was pretty good. Um I think the problem with something like this is when when, when you have the, these kind of stories where there's a heel team that cheats and uses these weapons and, and does dastardly things. When the dastardly things aren't happening, you're kind of just waiting for the dastardly things. They just hang over everything. Uh, and it just kind of all becomes a bit whatever, you know. It just It's not something that I can really get into. Tag match next. Aussie Open versus JJ Gale and Callum Newman. And this on paper is... Should be fantastic. You know, Aussie Open are Aussie Open, aren't they? They're, they're, I would put them as one of the best tag teams in the world at the minute, and I really believe that. I'm not being uh, ironic. I'm not trying to have a hot take because if you watch them and you've been keeping up with their work in Red Pro, that's not a hot take. That's a perfectly valid thing to think that Aussie Open are one of the best tag teams in the world. And uh, Gale and Newman are two amazing prospects. I. I really think these are going to be names to watch. You know, JJ Gale's got this very, you know, we talked earlier about the Sabu thing where he's he's wrestling right on the edge all the time. And he, yes, sometimes he botches, but it doesn't matter because you know he's really, really pushing. And Callum Newman is a bit of a protege of, of Osprey and he's, he's, he's similar in terms of athletic ability. You know, it kind of reminds me when we first started seeing Osprey. Um, whether he'll end up as good as Osprey or not, he's obviously that's a really tough challenge because Osprey's one of the best ever. So it's you know that's a, that's a, that's quite the ceiling, you know. But he is really good, and and this they came out fighting here. You know, it went straight to a massive dive from Callum and Gale, and uh, you know Gale pushed it a little bit too far and ended up I I think shoot smashing Fletcher in the face, uh, which. I think it was a shoot, and I think they had to slow down, which kind of scuppered the start a little bit. Um, so as much as the sort of the clumsiness can add to things here, it, it maybe took away from it slightly. Uh, and like a lot of things in this show, it kind of ended up being a bit disappointing. Uh, it, there was a change when Newman and Gale did a flip, and they were both caught and slammed into the ring, and Aussie Open just took control then, and it kind of became a bit turn-takey. You know, it was a three-and-a-bit star match. It, it was just... I mean, also seemed very connected to the crowd, and they always are, but again, there were little bits in this that were forced, like another wobbly leg moment from Dunkzilla and Newman, and it just all felt a bit like 
people were going through the motions. And I, I, I'm not doubting the effort. I think it was just one of those matches where things didn't really land. You know, I can't really pick apart why it didn't work. It just kind of didn't. And it's one that we we need to, to move on and forget about. The main event had me so excited, though. It's Ricky Knight Jr. versus Robbie X. And these are just two wrestlers who I absolutely love. Um, Ricky Knight Jr. for obvious reasons. You know, he's he's exciting and brilliant and he and he and he, he he's really gonna be a big star, I think, one day. He's he's got a little bit of everything. He's got the promo ability, he's got the aura, he can he can move, he can brawl, he can fight, he can wrestle. He's a great all rounder. He's twenty two years old as well, which is nuts. He's that good at that age. I mean, I suppose he's he's been wrestling since he was a baby, but you know, he he really is going to be great. And I think Robbie X is such an underrated wrestler. Um, I talked when I about him when I was talking about Dean Olmark a couple of episodes ago about how he's he's kind of in this great list of wrestlers who look like painters or decorators, but then can go out and have baggy matches. Um, Robbie X is, is is that and actually I kind of have to take that back because he, he's got into fantastic shape he looks absolutely incredible and and I've really enjoyed all the Ricky Knight Jr. Robbie X matches I, I was I didn't ever watch Southside uh, basically what happened was Red Pro bought Southside this other company and and bought and kind of brought RKJ and, and Robbie X in they were their regulars and they're really familiar with each other they, they've had lots of matches in Red Pro and they've all been great uh some are better than others, um, but you know you've kind of got this feeling with them that there's going to be a brilliant match when you when you see them. Uh, but I mean, like a lot on this show, this was just really disappointing. It wasn't on that level at all. Uh, I don't know if it's because Robbie X has been injured and he's come back, um, and he's a, a slight step behind just while he gets himself back in the swing of things. I don't know. And it's strange because the crowd for this were red hot. They were and genuinely red hot as well. Um, and it started off with, with with grappling, but in kind of an, an anticipatory way. It didn't feel like they were stalling. It felt like they were. we, we kind of had to wait for something amazing to happen. Um, you were kind of salivating for it. I think part of the problem during this bit was the way it was set up because I'm just going to say it. The commentary needed to shut the fuck up. They needed to shut up. They were talking about Dan Maloney. They were talking about they just wittering on, and it just it felt like you know when you're trying to watch something and someone's just in the room talking, and you just think you just need to just just be quiet for a bit, let a moment breathe. You know, yes, you could, you know, you'd be much better just doing play by play. You know, you just needed a, a moment at the start for us to soak up what was happening and to get excited about it and get into it. And they didn't let us do that because they were just rabbiting on the pair of them. And it, it just, I, I actually generally, apart from the quality, the sound quality, I generally like Rev Pro, uh, Rev Pro, uh, Rev Pro commentary. Um, maybe I should be slagging them off because I can't even speak. You know, so <laughs> maybe I can't even say the words, but I. I, I, I I do generally like Rev Pro commentary, but there was too much commentary in this moment. Uh, as it picked up, it got really good. You know, there were moments of this that were good. There was, 
you know, sudden leg sweeps, but they were dodged and they were leaping up and down and you could barely keep up. It was like, you know, when you watch an ice hockey game and the puck's everywhere and you try to, your eyes are just all over the place and the high flying and the movements, they're smooth, but there's a, just a slight rough edge to it. You know, it feels like they're actually really trying to hurt each other and and, and there are moments when, you know, for Robbie X would go for the a springboard cutter and as he bounced onto the ropes, RKJ had just double drop kick him in the face. And it's that kind of moment that, that, that was really good. There were just lots of little things in this that just didn't really sit right with me. You know, RKJ is still playing the pure blue eye. You know, he's coming out, he's high-fiving the kids, and I just don't think he can do it. Like, he's he's, he's playing uh, pure blue eye and then smashing Robbie X's dick into the ring post. And I, I just... You don't have to be a, pl- a pure blue eye. That's what confuses me about it. You don't have to be high-fiving the kids. You can be a baby face without doing it in that way. Do it in a way that's a little bit more natural, um, you know, that fits RKJ a, a little bit better. Uh, there were things in this like a suspended suplex, and I talked last time about an X-Wing in Quiet Place Part 2. Like, it just wouldn't really make any sense. It would make sense in Star Wars, but it wouldn't make sense in, in that kind of horror, drama, like realistic thing. And it, it suspended suplexes kind of had that feel here. They just felt out of place. It felt like something that didn't, that wouldn't have happened. And I can't really articulate it any better than that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Um, the whole match just wasn't really quick or brutal, and it's two things that these matches generally are. Um, little things... Like Robbie X's kick seemed a little bit more gentle than usual, and yeah, RKJ went after the injured leg, um, which is a decision that is both correct, yet also probably a really boring way to tell this story. And again, you're also presenting RKJ as a pure blue eye who goes after an injured body part, so it just didn't sit right with me. There was a dual Canadian destroyer spot, which was cool. But it's cool on a disconnected level. And it kind of caps things. You know, it's cool in an athletic sense. It's cool in a cool move sense. But Canadian Destroyers are never going to reach that peak for me. You know, they're always going to cap it as this is pro wrestling. Which I know is a really weird thing to say. But as in pro wrestling from the outside. Like pro wrestling looking in, you know. Um, RKJ does a load of New Japan finishes. (laughs) Which okay does Rainmakers and Last of the Dragons and I don't know how I feel about that because on the one hand I could scratch my chin and say, Oh yes, he's he's um you know you know, he's he's referencing his future and he's showing us where he wants to go and maybe read something clever into it, but I think I suspect the real answer might be he's just doing it because he thinks they look cool and then it's just a bit weird. It's a bit a bit it's like a comedian telling another comedian's jokes, you know. Um Overall, again, like I say, this kind of fits in with the rest of the show. It, it was it was okay. I feel like I'm really railing it, but everything on this show was kind of like three stars, um, apart from the Lycos stuff, which I didn't like. It's just it was a it was a bit of a an an average watch, really. Not something that I can I can particularly recommend. What I do think they should do with RKJ actually is lean into stuff that happened at the end of this match. Uh, because Robbie X lost, and uh, the, sort of the setup to the match was that Robbie X came. Uh, Robbie X came back, and Quilden said, "You can pick your opponent." 
and the person he chose was his longtime rival, big star, RKJ. Um, which is a great sell for a match. And obviously RKJ won. Uh, he targeted the limb. And what he did at the end, because he wanted to do that thing where he, he stands and, and, and celebrates with his opponent, um, he, he didn't help him up. He physically picked him up. And there was something about that moment that he's just brilliantly patronising. And it reminded me of some of the things that RKJ was doing over lockdown, where he would have a really close 50-50 match with someone and he would almost lose. But then at the end, he delivered this promo as if he just put him away and it was easy. He delivered promos like, oh, well done, kid. You tried your best. I'd love to do it again further on down the line. So, and he kind of established this really weird character of somebody who, on the one hand, was kind of heelish, but then on the other, thought he was a blue eye. He thought he was a baby face. You know, he thought he was a, a, a bit of a hero. And I, that's such an unusual character and a really difficult thing to do. And I don't know if it was intentional. I really don't. Uh, because they played this one off when he picked him up. And I thought it was this wonderfully patronising moment that was... That just spoke to like a really complicated character nuance, and actually they played it off like he he was a face thing, you know. He ended up, uh, he you know uh, RKJ ended up making the save at the end, coming out and rescuing, uh, uh RKJ from Maloney because he, he he gored Robbie X. Um, I wonder it made me think: Am I reading too much into the RKJ character? Did I give him too much credit over lockdown? And was it was all this some sort of happy accident that I've I've invented? And I, I don't think it is. I'm ninety percent sure it wasn't. But it just confuses me why they're going for this really weird, almost reversal of that, where he's a pure blue eye, and just does dickish things. I'd rather he was a heel who was convinced he was the biggest blue eye. You know, he'd be like Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. The reason why Tybalt is such a fascinating character is because he's the baddie. Everybody knows he's the baddie. Everybody in the audience knows he's the baddie. But in his head, he's the most honourable man who's ever lived. And he does the right thing. And that's what the best baddies do. And it, I felt like they were telling that story with RKJ. And they just kind of stopped. Listen, Red Pro is still the best promotion in Europe. Um, I, You know, the, this show wasn't for me. Uh, but at the end of the day, he wasn't at the York Hall. It was at St. Neots. You know, it, it, it wasn't a major show. Uh, but just having a look at that card would probably lead you to expect a better show than you're going to get if you watch it. I think this one is skippable. All you need to know really for the next show is at the end, Dan Maloney came out and speared Robbie X because he was annoyed that he wasn't the chosen opponent. And then uh, RKJ came out and made the save. And, and that set up a few matches over the upcoming shows. And and Quilden's still really into this nice, simple booking where you, you kind of caught with a, a little rivalry. There's like a little cluster that that face each other um, over a, a period of time. And I, I do quite like that, actually. Um, but that's it for Red Pro. Um, we're a, I feel like we're miles behind, but there's not a lot we can do. If he's, if they're not putting them up on RPW On Demand, what could we do? I mean, the next show is uh, called Raw Deal, ironically. Uh, but hopefully by the next episode, we'll be able to talk about them in a little bit more detail. But that's you up to date with RevPro.
Right then, that's your lot. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Eurograps Express. I've been Neil David. Uh, don't forget to follow me. I'm on Twitter at Eurograps EXP, all one word. Um, you can keep up with all the latest stuff on Spotify and, and iTunes if you subscribe. You could uh, donate through there as well. There's a link on there if you'd like to uh, give me some money for a better microphone. Absolutely no obligation to. I'm not asking anybody for anything. Uh, I just hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, it's the arse end of Salford. It's late at night. In fact, I think I can sense the sun's about to come up, so I'd better call it a day. I'll see you in a couple of weeks for another episode where we'll catch up on progress, we'll hopefully get a bit more RevPro in, and we'll have a dig around for some more interesting tidbits. We might even talk about, we might, and I'm not promising this, but we might even talk about progress belting up a man who they can't put on the WWE Network, which is is brilliant, isn't it? Um, I still need to work out what I'm going to say about that, but I've I've got two weeks to do it, so your homework is to think of something interesting to say about that. I'll do the same, and we'll see you wins. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>